Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast, breaking down the biggest news of the week in fashion. I'm senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm joined again this week by fashion reporter Zofia Zviglinska. Thank you for being here, Zofia. Hi, thank you for having me on again. Great to be here. I know, two two weeks in a row. We have a fun episode this week. We're going to talk about Paris Fashion Week, which, Sophia, you did a lot of coverage on. Um, we're going to mm-hmm. talk about the brands that are, and especially the brands that are not, pulling out of business operations in Russia. Um, there's been a lot of movement there. And finally, we will talk a little bit about International Women's Day, which was on Tuesday this week. Um, but to start, let's go to Paris. So, Sophia, you you covered this this week. You, you mm-hmm. tuned into a lot of... Um, what was going on in Paris. I did not pay as much attention, so I will let you sort of walk us through it, but I will share my thoughts as well based on what you say. So take it away. Yeah, absolutely. So Paris Fashion Week is obviously one of the most traditional fashion weeks on the fashion calendar, which does make it quite an interesting field when you're looking at all of the kind of innovation news that is happening right now. Um, However, I do think that there's been some interesting developments there in in my article that's coming out tomorrow. I'll be breaking down um, some metaverse strategies for for Parisian brands that are kind of integrating some NFT aspects into it. But there's also been some more interesting news relating to, to current news and current affairs with Ukraine So a Russian designer called Valentin Yudashkin um, was pulled from the schedule um, for his digital show, removed from the official Fashion Paris Week calendar, um, because he's someone who's designed uniforms for the Russian army previously, and I think he's had some affinity with um, the Russian government before. So this is kind of new in, in a way, because it's something that um, a lot of people have called to in the last couple of weeks for Russian fashion influencers and personalities and brands who are affiliated um, with the government kind of being called for um, to cancel their show. And now it's actually happened and at the most traditional fashion week. So it's quite an interesting development there. He's not like just some random Russian guy, too. It's like he, he was like had a connection to Putin and to the government and stuff. So it, it wasn't like they're just, you know, yanking any Russian designer out of the show, you know. So yeah. that's I think I feel like that's an important distinction because I do think there and we'll get into this more in our second section when we're talking about the brands pulling out of operations in Russia. But um, I do think there's for me anyway, like, uh, you know, there's a difference between someone who's like actively in support of of mm-hmm. what I think most of the world considers a very unjust um, attack. And then there's like just people who just are happen to be Russian designers or, or working in fashion or whatever, who maybe don't have anything to do with it necessarily. But anyway, um, but yeah. go on. No, no, absolutely. And Ralph Toledano, the president of the Fédération de la Haute Couture, um, has did say that, you know, the decision uh, for pulling him was mainly because of the fact that he supported Putin's stance uh, and was an affiliate of, of the regime there. So it is definitely people who have made decisive statements about their involvement or, you know, people who haven't made decisive statements about um, their kind of condemnation of that um, of that system. Um, in terms of kind of other people who are also interested and and kind of related, I guess, in some way to um, to what is happening in Ukraine, Balenciaga's um, Demna showed his collection um, last during the Paris Fashion Week, and and he also was um, putting a statement about Ukraine. He had um, T-shirts with the Ukrainian flag on each of the seats um, at the catwalk. And the collection itself was very much 
um, influenced by the condition um, that refugees have to travel in in northern parts of Europe. There was snow everywhere in a wind tunnel, kind of representative, similar to the Voss show, I think, with Alexander McQueen, um, but very, very um, impactful and kind of moving. I think that that's something that he relates to personally as he is from Georgia and, you know, understands the kind of um, impression that a Russian invasion would have on on nationality, on a system, on the way that, you know, you perceive your own kind of value. Um, so I think it's something that's definitely been a, a key feature um, for his show. I don't think many other designers at the Paris Fashion Week kind of related to it or called in it. I, I believe that um, there were maybe two others. can't quite remember the name off the top of my head now, um, who also did some kind of gesture, but it wasn't the same kind of impact um, as what the Balenciaga collection yeah. had, which was definitely the biggest. And Demna's note, if you if you read it, um, for those of you listening, it's it, the the note that he sort of accompanied the whole show with was I thought very beautiful uh, mm-hmm. about like the the psychological impact of being a refugee and and what it means to be forced to leave your own country and and all this kind of stuff. And I, I thought that it was it was powerful and and. Um, I thought a good like framing for why the show was still happening and, and, you know, claiming or declaring sort of the importance of just, you know, letting the show happen and not letting um, the show be sort of also forced to, to close down just like some, you know, so I I thought that was um, a really good note. And on that point, let's, let's move to our second topic um, talking about the brands that have pulled their operations um, from Russia. So obviously if you followed fashion, but even outside of fashion, there's been so many companies or businesses or organizations um, across a lot of different industries who have either symbolically or materially um, stopped doing business in or with Mm -hmm. Russia. Um, in fashion, there's, you know, Inditex, which is one of the biggest fashion companies in the world, um, pulled out of all their business in, in Russia, um, Adidas, lots of other people. Um, my, my question for you, Sophia, and I'll give my thoughts too. How useful is a gesture like that, um, in terms of actually affecting positive change? Like, is it, is it mostly symbolic or, or do you feel like it's a a necessary step? I, I do think it it is a necessary step, and it kind of um, replicates some of the the way that you know Russians felt before the the Iron Curtain came down, or rather was lifted, and and they had the access to American products and the kind of more more consumerist um, brands that that came in with an expansion towards the West. It's a bit of a different situation now because brands have been present in Russia for such a long time. Um, that this is kind of ubiquitous. Hopefully, the the idea is that because pulling all of these um, brands will have some kind of an effect with the sanctions, it might also help with um, you know uniting um, the people of Russia to see how kind of the change is also affecting their day to day lives. Things like shopping, um, it's something that it it will be felt. Um, even if it is just a gesture, even if it is something that, you know, is done by brands mainly from a from a business angle because they are pulling out, a distribution is halting there anyway. Um, so I think it's something that, you know, even as as a symbol is is very, very important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there is a an 
argument to be made whenever it it comes to things like sanctions and like who is it actually harming is like the everyday the average like russian citizen like the person who will be affected most and and like i think it's fair to talk about that but at the same time it's like if you are a private company in like based in western europe or in the us or something it's like well, you don't have the power really to do much else. So it's like, what what else can you even really do? I mean, uh, the other thing is like, rather than sort of a, a negative action towards Russia is a, a positive action toward Ukraine. And I think a lot of brands have done that as well. But But I do think it's like, you know, if you do business in Russia and like you don't really have any other power to affect the situation there, it's like, it is, it's something you can do. Um, and like you said, I think even as a symbolic thing, just like the the sense that invading another country is like something that doesn't come without consequences, I think is probably a good one to just sort of contribute to that that global feeling. It's always something that, um, you know, with a lot of brands being led by values now in like the kind of modern day era of brands, it's something that's definitely more present um, in the way that they think about their you know, the way that they communicate with their customers, the way that they communicate, you know, in terms of general action, charity action, um, and also helping out those that might be in need. So I think, you know, seeing that, for example, brands like Adidas have already reported that they are expecting a certain kind of monetary loss from their market in Russia shows that, you know, there is definitely an element of risk taking by doing this. It's not simply, you know, um, a decision that isn't going to affect them at all. Right. If you're a business and you do 0.1% of your sales in Russia, it's like not quite as impactful to, you know, symbolically yeah. pull out of Russia. Um, <laughs> so the other thing to to note, though, is that there are several brands that publicly stated that they would not stop doing business in Russia. Um, and mm-hmm. some of them have sort of backed off of that a little bit. Um, Swatch Group, which is the, 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 the watch company, um, they said that they would not close their stores, but they would stop exports to the country. Um, and then I think a week later, just uh, a few days before we're recording this, um, they uh, changed course and, and said that they would. And I think uh, part of that was because a lot of their competitors like Richemont and Audemars Piguet and stuff were all doing it. So I feel like there was just a, a, a mounting like sort of pressure in the climate around that. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have some like uh, Uniqlo, uh, the, the Japanese company. Um, I never know if it's Uniqlo or Uniqlo, but um, <laughs> as of as of recording, again, we're recording this Wednesday, so this might change by the time it, uh, this episode comes out. But as of Wednesday, they were still um, kind of, they, they had made a statement that they were not going to stop doing business in Russia, and they still haven't. Um, they were urged by the Ukrainian ambassador to Japan. Um, Uniqlo is a Japanese company. Um, mm-hmm to do so. And, and they, they just kind of didn't comment on that. So, but they're an example of a brand that's like, they're not doing, um, you know, they're not pulling out of business with Russia, but they are, you know, making charitable donations to Ukraine and, and, you know, trying to like do stuff there. Um, and I think their, their argument, um, was that the people in Russia have the same right to live that we do. (laughs) That was like a direct quote. And I don't think anyone's going to die from not having Uniqlo, but, um, I, I understand sort of the sentiment, um, even though it's worded a little strangely. Um, but I mean, that goes back to what we were just saying where it like, yeah, like if you pull out of business in Russia, like, I don't know if like Putin himself is going to be that injured by the fact that he can't buy like the Uniqlo heat tech shirts, but, um, (laughs) you know, and that it will be the average person who will not be able to do that. But at the same time, it's like, what else, 
do you have the option to do as a brand, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, maybe it's something that got lost in translation, but you do have to think about the the distribution chain and the production chain of a company like Uniqlo, who is coming from Japan, um, rather than, you know, European countries who might be having production um, closer to home uh, and in Europe. So it's also about where those products are coming from, you know, whether China's going to be involved. There's a lot of questions right now around, you know, who's going to be um, kind of supplying anything to, to Russia at this point, um, especially as, as gas has been stopped as well. So it's it's something that it is definitely going to, to be an evolving conversation uh, and it might lead to more brands pulling out too. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's do our last topic, um, which was that on Tuesday was International Women's Day. A um, lot of brands posting about it. A um, lot of brands always want to post about stuff like this, so that that's like no no new thing. But um, one thing that stuck out to me this year was, uh, I'm sure many of our listeners probably saw this, but there was a Twitter bot called Gender Pay Gap Bot. Although I I, question, I don't think it was actually a bot, like in that it was automated. I think it was a person doing it. But anyway, um, yeah. they were retweeting every brand that tweeted about um, International Women's Day and just would quote tweet them with the gender like pay gap at that company, um, mm. which I found very funny. There were a lot of deleted tweets, a lot of locked accounts and people deleting tweets and then reposting the same tweet and being like, sorry, there was a typo in the previous one. We had to, you know, just any way to like avoid that negative engagement. Um, I think I saw a handful of companies sort of respond in a more positive way and be like, yes, we're, we're working on it or something. I think there was um, one company that said that the the data that this bot was using was like from I think 2020 so it was like we actually have closed it since then so who knows but um digging through some of the examples and there were a lot I only found one fashion specific brand a, a fast fashion company called misguided mm-hmm. um and I'm but I mean I'm sure many 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 of the companies that we talk about on this podcast Sophia still have pay gap issues I mean I I doubt um any or almost any of the the brands that tweet about International Women's Day have a perfectly equal workplace. Um, yeah. Do you, so did did you notice it? It seemed like it was mostly UK companies, mm-hmm. and I, I imagine whoever's running the bot is is based in the UK. Does the UK um, require like reporting on on pay gap stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it, it does. And the creators, Francesca Lawson and Ali Fenson, both have experience in social media and technology. So they created the bot um, to to kind of, I think it was thought up of last weekend, um, last the last weekend before International Women's Day last year. Um, and they wanted to, um, you know, see the, the difference in a lot of companies who are going to be putting out statements on International Women's Day as, you know, a certain amount of lip service is always involved in these things. Um, and I think it's interesting to, to see fast fashion companies involved in this, considering, you know, the majority of their market is um, women. Um, and I think that most, most interestingly with Misguided, who are a fast fashion company based here, um, they included a tweet where they're going to be giving out um, £1,000 worth of cash for, for two people. Um, and instead, they were called on to increase the median hourly pay for, um, for the people on their staff, um, which I think was, was quite a tongue-in-cheek gesture. Uh, it's definitely something that might be more unique to, to the UK. There's been a lot of 
pay disparity here, um, not specifically, I think, within any kind of luxury fashion companies, but definitely among the, the kind of more mid-range and fast fashion companies, especially new businesses, which um, are kind of fast adopting standard ways of doing things instead of kind of working mm-hmm. on it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know that um, one thing I, I've seen in luxury is that so much of luxury fashion is um, geared towards women and then so many of the designers and executives mm-hmm. are men. So at the very least, I, I can't speak to these companies' um, pay gaps. I'm sure it's there, but um, even just like a cursory look at a lot of big fashion companies' executive boards, I think will show a pretty big disparity um, purely just in like who's at the top. Um, the other thing is, and and this there is data around, but um, at the at the very least, a lot of companies that tweet about uh, International Women's Day or post about it on social media and stuff, the vast majority of them are still like using factories that pay their garment workers like less than minimum wage. I think eighty five percent of garment workers are paid less than minimum wage, and a, a, many of those garment workers are usually women, and um, usually in countries outside of like Western Europe and the US. So um, at the very least, like those women are not being supported, um, you know, when companies tweet about this stuff. So um, even without like pay gaps within the sort of corporate structure of, of the brands, there's that baseline level of um, pay equity uh, mm. among women that's not being met by a huge amount of the industry, I think, especially fast fashion, which relies on super cheap labor. Yeah, definitely. And that was actually exactly the the point that I was going to raise. There's so many issues right now with garment workers still not being paid out for, you know, pandemic related um, orders that they had from from major brands that got cancelled and were never paid. Um, And yeah, a lot of these brands are still posting on International Women's Day, focusing on that kind of executive level um, or corporate level. Um, instead of looking at their supply chain, which I think is is such a key part, especially, you know, this year or last year when, um, you know, ESG sustainability and kind of corporate responsibility is, is such a big thing. Um, I think it makes more sense for, for the next International Women's Day for, for brands to get more involved in that way rather than, you know, paying lip service to something that, that is going to get called out on Twitter, you know, within hours of them posting. Right. And the um, pay gap bot has this uh, slogan, um, deeds, not words. It, that's like on their <laughs> their banner image. And I feel like that's a, a key part of a lot of this stuff. It's like, it's so easy to post hashtag IWD and say like, we support women and then do absolutely nothing for any of the women. And then last point is, is like you said, I think it's one thing if a one executive who is a woman is getting like, you know, $1 million less than the, another executive who's a man, but they're both like getting a multi-million dollar salary. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like, yeah, I guess you could say that that's a gap and that's bad for sure. But like far more important to me is the the vast majority of women at the very like sort of root of the supply chain in the like the uh, women who actually make the clothes who are getting nowhere near even like a baseline level wage. So. Anyway, that's just my thought. I think one more thing, and I think this is like brand new, brand new information from from today, um, is that a lot of women are, you know, it, who are producing clothes or who are in, um, you know, other areas of the world are also mainly um, impacted by climate change, which means that they, in some 
wing double struck by both the pay differences and um, the the impact that climate change is having on on their environments through brands like these. So I think it's really important, you know, for brands to get involved on both fronts rather than than doing it at a corporate level. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's wrap it up there. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please rate and review us um, wherever you're listening to this podcast. That really helps a lot. And if you are not already, um, definitely subscribe to the Glossy Podcast. Not only can you hear me and Sophia or me and Jill talking about um, the week in fashion on every Friday, uh, every Wednesday, you will also get episodes with Jill interviewing various insiders in the industry. So that's two episodes per week, um, and it's all in one podcast feed. So smash that subscribe button. Is that a weird thing to say? I don't know. Um, And thank you so much, Sophia, for being here. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure to be on. Can't wait to be on next time. All right. See you all next week. Bye.